Hello, I'm Kimberly Dondo, Digital Content Manager, and welcome to In Conversation With, the podcast series that delves into the world of financial services and brings you face-to-face with some of the most notable figures in the industry. Listen as we discuss topics that are currently facing the industry and hear from visionary CEOs to disruptive innovators as we bring you a diverse array of voices and perspectives. We'll explore the challenges they faced, the lessons they've learned, and the insights they have to share about the ever-evolving landscape of financial services. Hi, I'm Lois Valley, Chief Reporter for Money Marketing, and joining me today is John Griffiths from EBI. Thank you for joining me, John. Good to be here. Thanks. Um, so maybe you could start off just telling our listeners a little bit about you, how you got to where you are today, and what you do at EBI, and maybe a little bit about EBI as well for anyone who doesn't know what you guys do. Sure. Yeah. So I'm, I'm John Griffiths, uh, Investment Product Manager at EBI, uh, where I'm responsible for investment research and investment communication. My background is in the fund management and investment consulting industries, where I've worked in a range of client-focused and analytical roles. Uh, and to introduce EBI, so we're a discretionary fund manager based in the Midlands, uh, focused on delivering evidence-based, uh, sustainable and low-cost portfolios. Uh, we recently passed $2 billion, uh, assets under management, with most of this invested in our factor-based and ESG-integrated Earth portfolio range. Cool. Sounds great. So ESG is obviously a huge topic, and especially with sustainability being such a big thing in sort of public, in the public arena now. So um, it's obviously a big thing for advisors as well. Um, but also very complicated. There's lots of different definitions for different types of sustainable investments. Um, what do you think are the main differentiators between sort of the broad categories of ESG, SRI, ethical impact investing? So there's so many words. Could you just sort of explain a little bit about that first to start off? Sure. Yeah. So I agree that the uh, the range of sustainable investing definitions can be a bit confusing to navigate. A part of the issue is that we haven't really had set definitions in place, and so the understanding of a definition can vary from person to person. Um, you know, let me know. Let me run through how I see some of the main categories. Uh, so I'll start with ESG integration. So this is the uh, explicit inclusion of ESG factors into the investment process, uh, while typically uh, still seeking to maximise financial return. Uh, next, we have negative uh, or exclusionary screening. Uh, so this is the exclusion of certain investments due to them not meeting specific criteria, which are usually sustainability or values-based. Uh, in comparison, we then have positive or best-in-class screening. So this is the inclusion of certain investments uh, due to them meeting specific criteria or because they're considered better positioned than their peers uh, to manage sustainability risks or opportunities. Uh, we then have ethical investing. So this is more the traditional sustainable investing approach, which considers values to a greater extent, uh, along with return, uh, and historically involved negative screening on a values basis. Uh, we also have SRI, so socially responsible investing. Uh, this can involve both negative and uh, positive screening by investors really seeking to align values and manage financial risk uh, and return. And then finally, we have uh, impact investing. So this targets uh, investments with the aim of making a positive and measurable impact uh, in environmental or social terms. So yeah, that's the kind of run through I'd, I'd, I'd give. There's a range of other terms as well, but yeah, they're some of the main ones. 
Yeah, perfect. No, thank you. That's really helpful. I might actually like write a glossary or something to go alongside this podcast <laughs> just so people can refer back. But yeah, really helpful. Thank you. Um, obviously, the uh, FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority, is sort of doing stuff to try and help in this area as well. They've got their sustainability disclosure requirements um, regulations. And as part of that, I think they've got this whole sort of sustainable labeling system. Um, what impact do you think that's going to have? on both the advice profession and, I suppose, financial services more widely. Sure, yeah. And um, I can provide a bit of background if that's if that's useful. Just yeah, that would be great. SDR. Yeah, so yeah. I'm sure, um, well, as, as many of your listeners will be aware, so the FCA published its consultation paper on sustainability disclosure requirements, uh, SDR, and investment labels uh, back in October 2022. And it's expected to publish its final rules and guidance uh, in a policy statement, uh, which has been pushed back to Q4 of this year. Uh, so broadly speaking, the FCA is seeking to build a framework around sustainable investing, and this includes uh, clamping down on, on greenwashing uh, with the regulation covering sustainable investment labels, as you mentioned, and restrictions on the use of sustainability-related terms in marketing. Um, mm-hmm. As part of the labelling measures, uh, the FCA have proposed uh, three sustainable investment labels in the consultation paper. Uh, broadly speaking, these are So firstly, sustainable focus. This is products investing in assets that meet credible standards of sustainability uh, or which align with a sustainability theme. Uh, Secondly, we have sustainable improvers. So this is products investing in assets that may not be sustainable now, but have the potential to deliver measurable improvements in sustainability over time. Uh, And thirdly, we have sustainable impact. So this is products investing uh, to achieve a positive measurable contribution to real world sustainability outcomes. Mm. Uh, There's a range of other uh, proposals included in the consultation paper, for example, covering disclosures and reporting, uh, as well as a general anti-greenwashing rule, which will come into force immediately on publication of the policy statement. And this will just reiterate that communications around sustainability related claims must be clear, fair and not misleading. Mm So that's yeah, that's the background. Uh, you know, in response to this, I mean, we welcome this regulation, uh, the clampdown on greenwashing, and the greater transparency around sustainable investing that we expect it will lead to. Uh, one of the problems that I think many of us in the industry would point to is the myriad of different definitions regarding sustainable investing styles, as we briefly discussed. So, you know, these definitions can be unclear, even for professionals in the industry. So it can obviously be even more confusing for the wider public and end investors. So in light of this, the FCA developing uh, common language around investment labels and the use of terms is a positive step uh, and really will help investors in making decisions uh, around investment sustainably. That being said, uh, there's been some areas where we've seen some pushback from the industry, um, you know, just just to pick one. So, for example, portfolio managers um, such as DFMs, um, uh, there's there's currently a draft requirement for 90% of a portfolio's underlying assets to have received a label in order for the portfolio itself to receive the label. So, clarification has been sought in relation to this to confirm if this includes diversifying assets such as as cash, uh, Mm -hmm. as well as clarifying find the situation where a portfolio invests in funds with a mixture of labels rather than just one label and whether a threshold of lower than 90% might be more appropriate. So we're looking forward to the release of the policy statement in Q4, um, you know, where the regulator has landed uh, on a number of of these issues. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, It sounds like though, so if if these things come into effect as soon as the 
um, policy statement is published, but there's still things that are unclear. Is that a bit difficult for people in the industry because they're going to have to sort of prepare for something and they're not 100% sure about exactly what it's going to, what it, what it means? Yeah, so the the thing that comes into effect immediately is just the anti-greenwashing rule, which oh, is just a tightening okay. up of, um, of of language, effectively, um, just emphasising uh, existing rules that are in place. So there's an implementation period of between 12 to 18 months, typically for portfolio managers. So we've got a bit of time to prepare. Um, you know, nonetheless, okay, we're all paying close attention to the uh, the regulation and we've got the, the draft. So it's going to be really interesting to see what has changed uh, when uh, the policy statement's released um, you know, in, in Q4 and then continue the preparation from there. Yeah, definitely. So it could be anything from early October to end of December, then Q4. So we'll yes. look at for it. Yeah. Exciting. Yeah. Um, so... Um, I did want to talk a bit about, obviously, there's a lot of uncertainty in the market at the moment, um, economic sort of upheaval and things. Has that had an impact on performance and take up of ESG portfolios in your sort of experience? Have you noticed anything? Sure. So um, I mean, we've obviously seen some volatility in markets uh, in recent years, really, uh, particularly as we entered into the rate tightening cycle, uh, along with the, the war in Ukraine and the subsequent sanctions and the energy supply crunch. Uh, so uh, we did see sustainable strategies that held an underweight position to energy were impacted by this as the energy prices uh, rose. Uh, however, there would have been a, a wide range of outcomes depending on the type of sustainable, sustainable investing strategy used uh, and the screens that were adopted. Uh, here at EBI, we haven't seen any slowdown in the take-up of ESG portfolios. Uh, we found that there remains significant interest for sustainable investing uh, and that most advisors would prefer an investment solution um, that considers ESG over one that doesn't. Um, so that's our individual experience. You know, when we look at the wider industry, um, for example, the latest Morningstar Sustainable Fund Flows report, uh, this outlines how the first half of 2023 saw $50 billion of net new flows into sustainable funds globally, uh, hmm. bringing total global sustainable fund assets to almost $2.8 trillion. So we are still seeing that growth in sustainable uh, investing, that, that growth in the, in the interest and um, continued flows over time. Oh, that's great. So, yeah. Because I um, I don't know if it's true, but interest in sustainability just more generally seemed to go down a bit during the COVID lockdown just because everyone was sort of um, obviously focused on other stuff. And then even more so afterwards when, as you mentioned, the war in Ukraine and all these crazy things that are happening. But it's good to hear that it's not influencing the take up of VSG portfolios in the longer term. So, yeah. Um, so obviously, I, I'm quite. I am always interested by the term greenwashing because I think even that term itself has different definitions. So I just wondered if quickly you could maybe say what your definition of greenwashing is or what you understand to be greenwashing. Yeah. So broadly speaking, greenwashing uh, you could say it as. Um claiming, uh, making it sustainable related claims or claims around green uh, investment. And it doesn't need to necessarily be limited to the investment industry, uh, but overemphasizing um, uh, claims around mm. uh, the sustainable, sustainable attributes or the green attributes that are not borne out through reality. So um, yeah, in, in particular in the investment industry, this has been been levied, say, over the past 
five, five or seven years where there was and has been a, a big adoption of sustainable strategies and then some repositioning of existing strategies that weren't sustainable and just putting a sustainable uh, badge on them without maybe mm. changing too much of the underlying process. And so this was um, this occurred to some extent. I mean, people would uh, disagree on the uh, on the extent of, of that, um, but it, it definitely is an issue that does need um addressing so that's um that's why you know i think many in, in the industry would welcome this regulation this sdr regulation uh, just so that there is a, a clear and equal footing for firms uh, around funds and what is what can be classed as sustainable using these labels and, and what can't mm. yeah and i know in the us um there's been some sort of anti-esg backlash in certain parts of the us um, do you think this is going to have any sort of impact on UK or European markets? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a good question. So there's definitely been um, some concern over a backlash uh, against sustainable investing in the US. Uh, so broadly speaking, what's occurred is that officials across a number of states, mostly in the South, uh, have launched investigations into investment managers uh, regarding sustainable investment frameworks uh, and ESG-related shareholder votes. So mm-hmm. you know we've, we've seen that, and alongside that, some legislators have passed laws requiring government pension funds to divest from managers who consider specific ESG concerns. So it's a really really interesting story uh, to to follow. Um, Of course, while it's not positive in itself, I would make the case uh, that this anti-ESG backlash is actually an indicator of success and that we've seen rapid moves across the world into sustainable strategies. And the situation in, in the US seems to be a response from ESG detractors from a position of weakness, I would say, in relation to the growth that we've seen. Um, I also think there's a fair amount of political posturing in relation to these moves, most likely. Um, but in general, while the press is really focused on this anti-ESG backlash uh, in the US, the direction of travel more broadly is has been overwhelmingly towards a more sustainable future. Uh, and this includes in the US with the Biden administration's $370 billion green subsidy package this year, mm-hmm. as well as developments in states such as Wyoming, which earlier this year voted against a number of anti-ESG bills as well. Um, so that being said, um, you know, a note, of course, that the U.S. remains a dominant player uh, on the global stage in terms of influence and power. However, it's not been the leader in ESG investing and sustainable investing, with this mantle really being taken by Europe, which has the most advanced ESG practices and adoption. So even if we did see extreme anti-ESG legislation introduced in the U.S., uh, say even at the federal level, uh, we wouldn't expect this to impact uh, the industry or flows in the U.K. and Europe. Instead, it would likely mean that the the market leading position of UK and European yeah, investment houses uh, in the sustainable field would would only increase. Okay, um, so more generally, then, sort of overall, what do you see as the outlook for sustainable investing going forward? Yeah, so I think the outlook for sustainable investing remains extremely strong. Um, ESG information is part of a wider package of information available for companies, with ESG risks being a key area to consider uh, alongside financial and other risks for a firm. 
Uh, ESG risks can be and often are material uh, and impactful. So thinking back to when uh, Volkswagen got caught cheating on the emissions tests, it became clearer in hindsight that their poor corporate governance structure most likely played a role. And so an ESG-focused investor may have been able to better understand that risk profile ahead of the events that transpired. So in general, using ESG information when analyzing potential investments uh, seems to me to be putting yourself as as an investor at a significant advantage uh, compared to those that aren't choosing to. Mm-hmm. Alongside this, I'd point to just the overarching environmental and socioeconomic trends at play, uh, including climate change. I think 2023 has been another wake-up call for people around the world. The climate change is a process that's occurring uh, at a global level, is speeding up, uh, and will have an impact on all of us to different extents. So when faced with this scientific reality, uh, it's extremely important that the world moves towards a sustainable future as quickly as possible. Uh, and sustainable investing is one part of this, you know, the power that each of us wields in terms of where we choose to allocate uh, our assets or where we help our clients allocate their assets is an extremely significant one. Uh, and of course, alongside this kind of scientific reality, we're seeing governments, regulators around the world catching up and developing regulatory and policy frameworks to help their countries move to a more sustainable future. And this includes SDR and SFDR in the investment industry. So, you know, these these initiatives are here to stay. Uh, they're going to become more targeted over time and more impactful uh, over time. So, you know, for us, investing in line with this scientific reality and these emerging regulatory and policy frameworks rather than against them seems like an obvious path forward at this point uh, as the world moves to a more sustainable future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to any um, of our readers who comment on my articles going, well, our clients aren't interested in ESG, so we don't need to do anything about it. You probably do. Just saying. <laughs> Yeah, I would agree. Um, So just finally, then, what can financial professionals in general do to increase their understanding of ESG? Because it sounds like they do need to. Sure. Yeah. Um, So there's a range of great resources out there that can really help uh, develop understanding of ESG and sustainable investing. This includes uh, formal qualifications and certificates. So from personal experience, I can recommend the Certificate in ESG Investing, which is provided by the CFA Institute. Uh, It does a great job of covering a wide range of topics across environmental, social governance. Uh, It takes around 100 to 150 hours to complete. Um, You you can study for it in different ways, depending on your investment style, on your learning style. Oh, sorry, uh, and you don't need to be a CFA member to uh, to obtain the qualification. So I'd recommend that one. Uh, and there's also the CFA UK certificate in climate and investing. So this one really focuses in on the climate side specifically, going into uh, a good amount of detail on climate science policy responses and the significant shifts that we're seeing in the investment landscape uh, as a result of this. Um, study time is similar between between the two. And again, anyone can sit for the exam. Uh, there's also a good good range of books out there. Um, one we recommend here at EBI is called Your Essential Guide to Sustainable Investing. That's authored by Larry Swedrow and Sam Adams. So yeah, this does a really good job of just covering the sustainable investing landscape, as well as unpacking some of the academic research behind it. So that's the yeah the main main resources I'd I'd recommend. Great, might have a read of that. Thank you. Very helpful. Um, Yes, I think that's probably all we've got time for for this episode. But thank you so much for joining me, John. I've really enjoyed chatting to you today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for your time. I've really enjoyed the conversation.
Thank you for listening to In Conversation With. We do hope that you enjoyed it. Please do keep up to date with all our new releases via Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your podcasts from. You can also keep up to date with all our new content published on the Money Marketing website, as well as our print edition, Money Marketing Magazine. So make sure to subscribe. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. See you next time.